Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm you're feeling excited. Energy. I'm excited. Uh, you know, today, today is going to be a good day. I've t- really turned things around. This morning, I was feeling very anxious and upset. And now I'm ready, raring to go. Overslept on the first day of school. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> You folks at home, maybe we get some people who can relate. <laughs> but we made it. We did make it. We were there's not nothing, the last people in the building either. There's nothing like when you're like, oh, we overslept, right, getting ready. And then BB the whole time is like, I feel rushed. I feel so rushed. And it's like, yeah, man, because we're rushing. Because <laughs> we're running I'm, late. Listen, I'm over it now. I'm totally over it. I have a plan of attack for tomorrow. It's going to be great. I'm going to be great. You're going to be great. Oh, Okay. It's going to be great. I love the confidence. And we're talking about idioms. We are. Like some of our favorite episodes. Yeah, indeed. This is one of my favorite types because I love to give you pop quizzes. Yeah, and I haven't <laughs> I haven't looked at these at all. So I'm really excited to see, like, how, you're going to get close. These are all really great idioms. And I'm certain that you, you know, you know what they are. For our listeners, if it's been a while... And maybe you're not exactly sure what an idiom is. They are colloquial metaphors, right? And the definition is a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words. So like if someone says, let the cat out of the bag, right? Right. You know what that means if you've heard it before and you've heard it used. But, like, for example, if you But went, you're not worried that there's an actual cat coming at right. you from See, the back. If, like, if you went to Germany, right, and said, let the cat out of the back, and they'd never heard that saying before, they'd be like, what are you talking about, right? I've seen some of these on TikToks, and Germany has amazing idioms, by the way. There was one about being a stupid sausage. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great. It's great. But if someone called me a stupid sausage, I would not understand what that I was. I think you could probably, though, from context, let's be like, ow. Oh, okay. I mean, yes, but it's kind of, it's endearing in sure. the German. Okay. So bring me on for that first idiom. Um, okay. Here we go. The whole nine yards. Okay. So I know that this is to, like, go all out, um, like, go above and beyond. Give everything you've got. Right. Right? 100%. And I think it's about, because I feel like I've looked this up before. Okay. It's about using all the fabric on a roll. (gasps) Ding, ding, ding. Yes. You are exactly right. Although, in linguistic circles, it's a little contested. Sure, a lot of these are. uh, The phrase is part of the American lexicon, or has been part of the American lexicon since the mid-1800s. So that's a little older than a lot of our idioms. A lot of our idioms come from the mid-1900s, right? It's really... Or the early 1900s. Can I tell you, thank you for opening this door for me to talk about the film, The Whole Nine Yards. Oh, boy. With Matthew Perry and Bruce Willis uh, and Amanda Peet and Natasha Hinstridge, I believe. Um, Here's the only thing about it. I don't know 
off the top of my head why it is called that. Like because yep. I think it's supposed to be related to like golfing, but I don't know where the golfing it's not like a big part of the movie. Maybe Bruce Willis golfs once in the movie. If I, I don't know. I don't remember. But like I feel feel like the cover of the film had them like coming out of like a golf, you know, like a hole. But it's that wasn't a part of the movie at all. I, I don't know. It has been so long since I've seen any part of that movie. Maybe I haven't seen that movie. No, well, maybe. Okay. But Anywho. I understand what it's about. Anyways, uh, it's difficult to put a finger on exactly where it came from. But the idea that keeps coming up is, like you said, the literal nine yards of fabric that are in a bolt of cloth, mm-hmm. which is the way that they sell cloth, right? Um, an article published in Comments on Etymology pointed out that fabric during the 1800s and early 1900s was sold as a standard length of nine yards per bundle. So if you bought the whole bundle, aka the nine yards of fabric, you were likely making something pretty all-encompassing. Right. Yeah. Because that's 27 feet of stuff. That's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. So you were using the whole thing, probably. Were you impressed that I knew that one? I am impressed. I thought you were going to go football, which is 10 yards, right? For first down? For first down. Yeah. But that's not doing the whole thing. But I'm smarter than the, the average thing. bear. Because if you were talking about nine yards out of 10 yards to do the first down. Well, then you would down, do 100 yards, right? It's one of my favorite things, too, my friends who live in places where they use the metric system. And it's like the metric system it's so clear to them, right? That when they say that, oh, it's about a meter, right? It's about it's 10 centimeters, right? They have a clear image in their head of what it is. And they always joke about like Americans only have football fields. <laughs> they only compare, oh, it's about half a football. Oh, it's like two football fields away. That's longer than a whole football field, right? And it's like, yeah, she was saying about um, like one-tenth of a football field. <laughs> right? like it's, that's our only clear, like I can picture that. Say a football field, I can picture that. If someone's like, oh, yeah, but it was like, uh, you know, about seven and a half feet. I have no idea. What do you mean? You what know what about? I think of? I think of sheets of A4 paper. Well, yeah, if you're thinking about something little enough. As a right? foot, right? So, uh, But I think about my own length. Oh, if you I do? Lay, I'm, I'm five foot ten. How many Travises? <laughs> How many Travises would it take? That's about 5% of a Travis. So it's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Cutting corners. So cutting corners, I know is about like that you like took shortcuts to finish a project or that you uh, like tried to do it like cheaply or whatever. Really, usually it's associated with um, like not doing 100% of the work or buying the best materials or something like that. Right. So it's usually at the expense of the product being worse, right? So you cut corners, you make an inferior product or do an inferior job, and it is visible in the job, right? Now, I have to assume that this is a a literal one about at some point like selling people material or something that had the corners cut off. You know, that is what Alex thought as well that it was also sewing and cloth related but it's actually about horse-drawn carriages get out i never would have guessed that the phrase first began to pop up in the 1800s when it was customary for people to travel via coach or carriage right Uh and when you're driving a horse-drawn carriage you come to a sharp corner it is proper safety precaution to go all the way into the corner and then turn slowly so you won't rustle the cargo or the passengers or, or you know, even pop your wheel off, right? But it takes longer than just 
cutting the diagonal. Just cutting and corners. cut the corner off. It allowed you to take a faster turn, and it also made the risks of mistakes higher. Sure. You could clip the curb and overturn. You could clip the curb and knock your wheel off. You could be involved in a pileup with another coach, right? You might drive straight into them, or they could drive into you, cut in the corner. So discard normal safety precautions and get faster but inferior results. I can't hear the phrase cutting corners without thinking about Battlestar Galactica. What do I mean? Thank you for asking, Teresa. (laughs) Well, in the remake, and I can't speak to the original, they did this thing where if you had actual, like, physical paper on the show, all the corners were cut off. And I think it was supposed to be, like, paper is a lot harder to come by when you're in space and everything, right? There's nothing written in the corners, so you don't need that space. But, like, books... And like piece of paper, anything had the corners cut off, and I always thought like that's a lot of work, <laughs> right? Like, are Who's you the prop me, master doing that? You, right? It's like somebody had to <laughs> like sawing off. The, it's a lot of work. It <sighs> is a lot of work. All right, here's another one. Back to the drawing board. Okay, this one, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna nail both of these. Okay, okay. So back to the drawing board is like when your first plan or the plan you're doing, the thing you're working on doesn't work and you need to start over, right? Then you need to go back to the drawing board, right? That's how you would use the phrase. Like, ah, oh, you know what? This isn't working. Back to the drawing board. Yes. Right? And it has to be literally about designing things, right? It has to be like, we designed this product, that we designed this machine, we designed this building, and it's not working. So we need to go back to the drawing board and design it again, right? It is possible, but that is not its first recorded usage. Get out of town. What else could it be? Okay. Well, so you're absolutely right. A drawing board is a physical item of furniture used by mechanics or architects or other artists, right, to draw out plans. So um, the phrase comes from, like you said, the idea that if it doesn't work, you go back and make a new idea. Right. The idiom first originated in the 1940s and is attributed to artist Peter Arno. He was a cartoonist who used the phrase as a joke in one of his comic strips. So it's about... It's Dra- about drawing in the, on the board a, a cartoon, right? But it's about cartoons. And he used the joke. Not like blueprints or designs or... Well, so like I said, it what probably... <laughs> Peter? Peter Arno. Arno. How do you spell Arno? A-R-N-O. Gotta see what he drew. Uh, so it probably did was in language before that, right? Because it makes absolute sense. This idiom is is something that feels very literal, right? Um, but it is attributed to him because that's when it first appeared in print. Wow. Okay, so like his cartoons were like New Yorker stuff. He wasn't like a comic strip kind of guy. Okay, got it. Here's the next one. I can't believe it's not that. I thought I had it. You know what it is? It's hubris. That's what happened. It was hubris. (laughs) On the ball. There it is. Right there. Look. Yeah, I see it. It's about a crash plane. Well, back. Okay, so, but this is interesting Mm -hmm. because it is about the design of a machine because it's talking about the plane crashed. Well, back to the old drawing board. Mm -hmm. But he's talking about a design of a plane, so not about the drawing. Right. I thought it, because when I was picturing a comic strip, right, I was picturing like, a little like, more meta than that. Yeah, right? Like yeah. something they would do in like, far, like Dune's Bear. Um, of like uh, acknowledging that they're drawings or whatever. But this is this is interesting because it's a drawing. Right? He's saying back to the drawing board. But it's about a design. Huh. 
And I think that Djokovic's supposed to be everybody else is rushing to help the pilot of this crashed plane while the designer engineer is like, well, back to the old drawing board and isn't faced by the crash at all. Okay. Weird. Okay. Like I said, it makes so much sense, especially in the area of design and industry and stuff that people were saying it before and they were actually literally going back to their drawing board. But that's the first time that it is it is cataloged as an idiom. Okay. Also, Peter Arnault also uh, worked on the Circus Magazine by Barnum and Bailey. Cool. I didn't know Barnum and Bailey put out a circus magazine. Okay, sorry. Anyways, all right, go all on. right, all right. I had already started, but I'll go back to you again. Okay, sorry. I was caught up. I know. On the ball. So on the ball is like, uh, you know, you're you're paying attention, you're very focused, or like you're on top of things, you're getting stuff done. Uh, you know, like you would say like, oh, that guy, oh yeah, he always turns his projects in on time, and there's no mistakes in them. He's really on the ball. Yeah. That's exactly it. But where does it come from? Circus related. Is it circus related? When you bounce on a ball. I think that you might have circus on the I've brain. I've got circus on the brain now, but I will feel weird. I wanted to deny that impulse <laughs> because I was like, it's because you just looked at circus. I was like, yeah, but then you'll feel really silly when it is circus. I think you might have to unwind just a little bit because okay. it's about baseball. It's from baseball. Oh, like keep your eye on the ball. Exactly. Oh, right. That makes a lot more sense. It's widely. I mean, ex- it makes a different kind of sense. A different like, kind I, of I sense. I was picturing elephants balancing on a ball. Sure. But that's a thing. Because if you take, <laughs> hey, listen, if you're an elephant on top of a ball and you lose focus, you're going to fall <laughs> off that ball. That's true. Uh, it's widely accepted. Don't make elephants go on balls. That's not, they don't like it. No. No. That uh, being on the ball is a truncated version of keep your eye on the ball, which had been, you know, practical advice ever since baseball and other stickball games. Yeah, it's hard to hit right? the ball if you're not looking at it. Exactly. Um, That's what I learned from my years and years <laughs> of being bad at baseball. I mean, and it's kind of cute, right? Because baseball, unless you are a professional baseballer. That's what they're called, yes. A, a ballman. <laughs> yeah, is is kind of a game that kids play, right? Uh, a lot hey, of those stickball games. Sure, yeah. And it's really great to see that that advice, right? But that it's you weird teach your child, you. you teach your child to play. You say, keep your eye on the ball, uh-huh. and that grows up with you as an adult. Sure, yeah, but it's also weird to hear you describe baseball as a kid's game. I said... If you're not professional about it. I'm saying that there are some non-professional grown-ups who would be like, oh, good, good, good. <laughs> What the point I'm trying to illustrate is you learn that about it. That it's a game it. for babies. No. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> you learn you about it. You're first. You get the advice as a child to keep your eye on the ball. Mm-hmm. And then you grow up saying. and you put away such childish no, things. No, you keep that. You play you grown-up sports it. like lacrosse. <laughs> no, you keep that thing oh. and it turns into on the ball. I don't know anything about lacrosse. I don't know why. I why are you giving me such it. a hard time about baseball? Because I love you, you so much. Don't know anything about lacrosse. I think that's more acceptable though. Lacrosse isn't known as America's pastime. It should be because it's a very uh, indigenously played game. Is it? Yeah. I need to learn about lacrosse. We're going to do a whole episode on lacrosse now. Okay. I decided that we'll do lacrosse. We'll do polo, cricket, all the things I don't know. Okay. We'll do a whole episode about things I don't know, and then I'll know everything. Great. Hmm. I don't know how I felt about that. Great. <laughs> Let's take a break to hear a word from some other Max Fun shows. Hold up. 
I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chuck Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful. Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real-life married couple. Yuck. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry, snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, Yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo. I hate this little hippo. Hey, when you listen to podcasts, it really just comes down to whether or not you like the sound of everyone's voices. My voice is one of the sounds you'll hear on the podcast Dr. Game Show, and this is the voice of co-host and fearless leader Joe Firestone. This is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners, and we play them with callers over Zoom we've never spoken to in our lives. So that is basically the concept of the show. Pretty chill. So take it or leave it, bucko. And here's what some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish I discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org. Okay, we're back. What's the next one? Pulling your leg. Okay. I have no idea what it's from, but I know what it means. All right. Which is like to uh, kind of joke with somebody to make them believe something, right? Not just like telling them jokes, right? But almost like uh, tricking them right. in a joking way. Like, no, I'm just pulling your leg. Like, you know, uh, if you said, oh, wow, there's a fire be- breathing dragon outside or whatever. And like, no, nah, I'm just pulling your leg, right? right? I'm just joking. Once again, not telling a joke. You get it. In a tricky kind of way. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying tricky. to trick you. Yeah. This is another one where we don't know for sure but the most sensible explanation, which is... Wait, can I guess? Oh, okay. To connect it with the thing would be like, if it's like pretending something's biting your leg or like you're getting pulled into something, literally pulling someone's leg, pretending it's something else, and then saying, no, that was just me pulling your leg. You are very close. Okay. Because the accepted origin is from the Middle Ages when it's believed that thieves would sometimes trip or quite literally pull on someone's legs so they could rob them after they fell over. I see. Uh, so you're literally pulling on someone's leg. And tricking it, them and tripping them. But tricking them and tripping them, that's right. It's not completely verified, but, I mean, it's funny. That makes some, it makes complete sense. Yeah. I was picturing sort of a, I'm pretending to be a crocodile when you're not paying attention, and oh. I bit your leg, and I'm like, ah, that's just me pulling your leg. But, yes, that your, your thing uh, probably is more sensible. <laughs> uh, here's one that I love. Every cloud has a silver lining. So this is about uh, looking on the the good side of things, or no, more than that. This is like, listen, something bad happened, but let's see if something good comes of it, or something bad happened, but also here's a good thing that happened at the same time, right? This is about uh, looking on the positive side of things, uh, uh, not focusing on the negative. Absolutely. Uh, this is a shout out to Julia. I don't think she listens. But my college roommate, Julia, and I always loved that phrase, talked about it, had jokes about it. It was great. So it comes from a poem. So the phrase comes from uh, John Milton, who coined the phrase silver lining in his poem, 
Comus a Mask, which was presented at Ludlow Castle in 1634. Wait, Ludlow Castle. Have I been there? Hold on. Maybe. While I read it, you look and see if you've been there. I see ye visibly and now believe that he, the supreme good, to whom all things ill are, but as slavish officers of vengeance, would send a glistering guardian, if need were to keep my life and honor unassailed. Was I deceived, or did a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night? I did not err. There does a sable cloud turn forth her silver lining on the night and cast a gleam over this tufted grove. Can I tell you what's why? I thought, yeah, John Milton also wrote Paradise Lost. Mm. That's wild. So it compares the silvery looking lining edges of the cloud, you know, mm-hmm. when it's like backlit by the sun or moon, to the unseen silver lining of the back of the cloud, right? So you see the front of the cloud. But on the back, it's hit with all the light, Mm. either from the sun or the moon. And you can just see the edges of the brightness poking out. And, I mean, it's a beautiful metaphor and imagery. And Uh, and we all fell in love with it. If the cloud opens its jacket, you can see the silver (laughs) lining. Every jacket has an inner lining. I I don't know what that means. I I mean. I don't know what the metaphor is. Is the jacket the bad part and the lining the good part? The good part? No, it's just two different parts of the jacket. It's not a metaphor. It's just the same thing at this point. Okay. Yeah. Here's another one. Ballpark figure. Okay. So this is when, like, you're estimating something, right? And it usually is, like, an estimation where you're not trying to be exact or you don't have information. You're you're just kind of, like, uh, guessing almost, but using a little bit of intuition where I would say, like, if I said, well, how much of this do you need? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't measure it. I'm like, well, just give me like a ballpark figure, right? So it's like, well, just kind of loosely estimate. So I can see how that is its common usage today. Uh-huh. But when it first appeared, it actually had a lot to do with someone who had some experience and had an, a rough idea already giving an estimate, right? So here we go. Baseball. Sure. For sure, yeah. right? But once lacrosse, no, 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 it's not based on lacrosse. Okay, so a baseball stadium or a ballpark has a set number of seats, uh-huh. and on the day of the game, it was customary for an announcer to estimate the number of people attending the game based on how many seats he saw were filled. Now, it is based on the observation of the commentator, right? So no one took it to be a hundred percent accurate, but the guess was not random, right? Because the commentator did know how many seats were in the stadium, Yeah, right? So it's not just about having no idea. It is within a parameter of someone who does have a little of experience and an idea of what it might fully be, right? Okay. So ballpark figure isn't completely correct, but it is a credible estimation based on the knowledge that you, that someone knows what they're talking about. Got it. Okay. Yeah, so you were very close on that one. I was in the ballpark. (laughs) Here's one. Easy as pie. Okay, so this is, easy as pie is like, uh, someone might say easy as one, two, three, or like it's so easy, uh, you don't even need to worry about it. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, then it's done, easy as pie. But this is very tricky because making a good pie is very tough. Like getting the crust right is difficult. Um, we do it's hard. Making a pie is not the easiest 
thing, I would say. Right, because that's not how the idiom started. Okay. So it used to be like eating pie. Because oh. eating the pie is is the easy sure, part. Sure, it's fun. Yeah, it's awesome. That's the easy part, yeah. right? That's the good, easy part. Making the pie is the hard part with the crust and the lattice and the fruits or whatever the kind what of yous, fillings yes. that you're making, the right? The hoops and the jazz music. Um, so it was first used in 1910 as a play on the phrase, like eating pie, which was already established, right? Uh, back in uh, something like 1886, that's when that first appeared in print. So, like eating pie, 1886. Then by 1910, easy as pie was what it morphed into. Okay. Okay. The more you say it, the weirder it sounds to me. By yeah, the way. like I, know, I feel right? like we've said easy as pie too many times. Yes. Yes. Another beloved theory is that the phrase actually comes from New Zealand in the 1920s. The Maori. The indigenous people of New Zealand have a term meaning good, which is pronounced pie. Oh. So saying something as easy as pie meant to do something simple, if not also fun, right? Okay. Something good. I was just, I was sitting here thinking about like the other versions I've heard of like easy as falling off a log, easy. And then I thought about the, what is now I think become an idiom of like, it's like riding a bike, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you would say that to somebody who didn't know the rest of that and be like, what are you talking about? Like, how is this like riding a bike? Because riding a bike is not simple. Yeah. It is, but the riding of the bike is that you never forget you how never to do it. You never forget how to do it. It's like riding a bike. It comes back to you, right? Which I will say this. It's been a while since I rode the bike. I don't know that I'd be hitting, like, hitting, the, you know, the road. Like, I'm going to run. I'm going to jump on this bike, and I'm never looking back. I feel like every time I get on a bike, I think about that, but then my body knows what to do. That's true. Yeah, that's I like me not, and rollerblading. I have not fallen off a bike since the first several times when learning. I didn't, it's been a while since I went rollerblading. I was going to joke about it, but now I kind of want to do it. I want to rollerblade. Anyways. <laughs> we need to find some blades, I, I was guess. Watching, yeah, watching Barbie, and I want to rollerblade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Being born with a silver spoon in your mouth. So this is about you got a lot of lucky breaks or like you're born privileged, right? Is what it is. Like you're born into a family you never knew. You didn't have to work for anything. You never knew a hard day. Uh, you were never went without. And I, it has to come literally from like baby, like teething spoons, right? That were made of silver, right? Very close. So, 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 so close. Uh, all the way back to the early 1500s, okay. owning silverware was a sign of high status because other utensils could be made from other metals or even wood, like sure. whittled from wood, right? Um, but if you were wealthy, you had silver things. And which you is tore a, up your Teflon-coated pans. Well, which is a very, like, malleable metal, by the way. It's not well, super that's true. strong. It's stronger than gold. Yeah. But that's why you buy gold. So yeah. whenever you see people bite, because if you leave teeth marks, it's real. Right. Now, here's the thing. How many times can you do that before you're like, this coin is just covered in teeth marks? <laughs> Gross. Then you don't have to bite it. You can see the teeth marks. Well, then you start making fake coins with teeth marks in oh, them. Oh, no. Right? You cracked it. Um, so families. Who was going around making all these fake gold coins? Sorry, go on. When uh, families did a christening for their children, it was often customary to 
give a silver spoon as a gift, right? So not quite born with a silver spoon, but literally a child would be given a silver spoon because they were of wealthy status. That's the exaggeration though, right? Because it would be rather than being given a silver spoon, you're so lucky and fortunate and rich, you were born with one in your mouth, Mm. right? So like, I think that's probably the evolution of that, right? Where somebody was like, I heard he was given a silver spoon as christening, like given one, he was probably born with one in his mouth. That is a great idea. That's probably how it came That's probably how, how it evolved, you're right. Seems like a weird insult to give someone like, one, that's not how babies are born. It would be wild <laughs> if a baby was born. Came out, I'm like, is that silver? What did you eat? <laughs> um, but also, like, it's those two, like, those yeah, two you're parts so... of your body aren't connected. Yeah. You know that, right? Yes, I know. But they didn't know that in 1500s. No, they didn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, get someone's goat or someone's got your goat. So this is like you frustrated somebody or you got on somebody's nerves. Um I guess that's probably the way I would use it. Or it could be like, uh, got their goat, like, they've really gotten under your skin. Well, that's another one, right? That's another they've one. They've really uh, irritated you to the point where, like, you now have, like, actual bad feelings about them and you, like, are mad at them. They got your goat. Or, like, they tricked you? I don't know. Now I'm losing confidence as I talk more. <laughs> no, it was the first one. Okay. It was right. It was right. To um, To irritate someone, right? To the point of failure, even. So, oh, like you treat like you irritated so bad they failed at the thing they were doing. Like if you were heckling somebody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it comes from horse racing. What? Why? I know, What's right? The goat part then. Should so, it be got your horse, got your nose? Something here's like the that? thing. Thoroughbreds are famously unstable as far as like moods go and easy to upset. Right? They're very temperamental. Uh-huh. Is, is the way that they they are. Right. And you know what calms down thoroughbreds? Goats. Goats. Really? Yeah. So they see them and they're like, <laughs> "Love these guys." There is a long-standing, unlikely friendship between racehorses and goats. Why? Because the barnyard animals are very loyal companions, and that's kind of like it's kind of like an emotional support goat. So you're telling me. Here's my thoroughbred horse. I spent, let's say, five hundred thousand dollars on oh, this horse. Oh, it was a lot of this money. This is in a there. race or Oh, it's amazing. Yep. And I'm gonna then. Here's a goat, and the goat comes over, and the horse is like, "Oh, I'm freaking out. I got a big rest today. I'm freaking." Ha! Oh, there's my goat. One would assume that they are often together, and it is not just you give them a goat. You raise it with the goat. They're barn buddies. I do okay. like the idea of like, I'll buy you a goat. <laughs> and so then got your goat is like, if you take the goat away and it makes yes. you really mad. Oh. Yes. So maybe it comes from when your horse racing opponents would cheat by stealing a particularly promising horse's goat companion, hoping that the goat, that the horse would get antsy and be thrown off and then lose the race. We don't curse on the show, but if I did, I would be saying that that is beeped up right there right <laughs> like hey it's one thing you could i you could do so many terrible things but you took my horse's emotional support goat and i think that that is messed up on a level that i don't even want to fathom frankly. i know right i i mean yes i'm certain that that is something that often happened but the the meat of this idiom is about how if you took someone's goat Away, don't take my goat away. <laughs> then they would become agitated, okay. right? So you've got their goat. You're Ugh. agitating them. Yeah. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. I really love these. This was a really good batch. I told you, this is very exciting for me every time we get to do an idiom. There, it was, there were some surprises in there. I feel like I learned something. I laughed a little bit. I loved a little bit. I loved a lot. I loved I love a, lot a lot too. Thank you to everybody for sending them in. Um, and we literally we couldn't do the enemy episodes without you because you guys send in the ones uh, and like Alex researches them. Thank you, Alex, for everything you do. Thank you to Rachel, our editor. We couldn't make the show without Rachel. Thank you to you, Teresa. I love making the show without you. Without you? No. <laughs> I love making the show with you, and I couldn't do never, it without you. Never without you. Never without you. Yes. Um. Let's see what else. Um, we've got some live shows coming up that we want you to go check out. You can just go to bit.ly slash tours and you'll find all the information there. What else, Teresa? Well, we always thank Brent, Brent O'Floss Black, the writer of our theme song, which is available as a ringtone where those are found. Also, thank you to Bruja Betty Pinup Photography for the cover picture of our fan-run Facebook group, Schmanners Fanners. If you love to give and get excellent advice from other fans, go ahead and join that group today. Um, and also thank you to, like you said, all the people who submitted. If you would like to submit an idiom or a topic suggestion, uh, please email us, schmannerscast at gmail.com, and say hi to Alex, who reads everyone. And that's going to do it for us, so join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Schmanners, Schmanners. Get it? Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.